Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast Thursday, September 9th. Another week winding down. Man, after an interminable offseason in August, things are starting to fly by. I don't like it. But anyway, plenty of coverage at TigerIllustrated.com right now. The football team got the video, Thursday video uh, review segment up, taking an in-depth look at how masterfully, really, Brent Venable's defense did against Georgia's varying attempts at tempo last Saturday night. Also, Paul Strelo got you covered with plenty more updates on all things recruiting at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. All right, three great guests today, starting with Andy Staples, Cole Kubelik, and then Brett McMurphy. Andy and Cole are going to talk mainly uh, about the goings-on right now in football. Then Brett's going to tell his story highlighted by his departure from ESPN and then getting paid by ESPN while beating ESPN on some major stories as he posted on Facebook. I had forgotten about a lot of the details of that, but just truly fascinating stuff. Okay, here we go. Starting with Andy. Joined by Andy Staples, uh, one of my favorites, uh, covers college football uh, better than anybody, in my opinion. How you doing, man? Doing good. Um, how, how do you cover uh, all this extra stuff in addition to, to the actual season? I mean, you got realignment and all that and name image likeness. Is it, is it a pain in the ass? <laughs> no, you just pick what's the most interesting thing right now. And, you know, and you try to keep track as well as you can. Somebody asked me today, you know, who are some of the young assistant coaches that impressed you? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I have no answer for you at the moment. Give me a few weeks <laughs> because I've been trying to figure out when Texas and Oklahoma will be in, will be playing in the sec. And, and that's, that's the thing. You just sort of parcel it out. The NIL stuff I've found that nobody cares to read about it. You know, look, DJ, is in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Awesome. Great. <laughs> yeah. they, the, the ratings were boffo for the game. So clearly it didn't turn people off. Yeah. It's like, what a great weekend of college football, and 
oh yeah, it's still the same. <laughs> People, you know, the biggest complaint I heard the last few months is just not going to be the same. Well, it seemed pretty freaking good to me at least. Yeah, it's fine. No, I, the only, I mean, the people arguing against that, I hate to say it, they're dumb. They've been dumb. <laughs> Their arguments have been stupid all along. And but because here's the thing. I can say they're stupid because they've been proven wrong multiple times over multiple decades. It's, they just reheated the, the Major League Baseball argument against Kirk Flood. And then they just reheated the NFL argument when that, case, when that free agency case went to court. It doesn't – you can keep reheating the same argument, but – History has shown you will be wrong. So you could just stop. All right. Did you watch the Georgia Clemson game? Of course. Okay, just making who, who sure. Didn't? I'm just saying. Who didn't? That did, that did a major rating. <laughs> you, you said you were really busy with other stuff, so I'm just making sure that you're well, still, still watching watch the games. I still watch the games, Larry. I can text <laughs> people while I watch. <laughs> All right. I was just making sure you watch closely. So last week I wrote a column going into the game saying this is the year that defenses answer uh, at the top levels of college football. After all the pyrotechnics that we've seen in the last five or six years, this we just have some ridiculously talented defenses uh, returning a lot of players. But I did not <laughs> expect neither offense to reach the end zone. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's put it this way: in the uh, from seventy-seven to eighty-eight, Clemson and Georgia played eleven times. They were five-five and one. Great rivalry, mm-hmm. great series. The average score was fifteen to fourteen. And I wrote, yeah. "Hey, we're not saying that's going to happen." You know, <laughs> like maybe more like you know twenty to seventeen. But so, how shocked were you that? Uh, uh, I was not shocked that Georgia didn't. Their yeah. five best receiving threats weren't playing. Yeah. I don't think Clemson has that excuse. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's the thing. that They didn't block. And, and Georgia's got a great defensive line, but they have the kind of defensive line you're going to see in the, in the college football playoff. And you have to be able to block that. That, that kind of talent. And, you know, that's, you know, go back to 2008, the 2018 season when, when Clemson crushed Alabama, you know, we said, Oh, you know, that Alabama defensive line, you run over that Clemson offensive line, that Clemson offensive line dominated that game. And you have to have that. And for whatever reason, Clemson, despite recruiting at the same level in almost every other position group as Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, all, all those teams that we always talk about. Offensive line has not been there. You know, they went and got Jackson Carmen out of Ohio, but it's, it's not as it's not the same. They're not putting as many offensive linemen in the, in the NFL. That seems to be the difference. And on beyond that, even uh, their receivers didn't really look uh, interested. I don't want to say interested, but they did not hold up well on the perimeter stuff. Georgia was just taking it to them. And that, well, I, I've been I've been wondering about that, Larry, because last year it seemed like ETN had to make up a lot in the passing game, and I realize, you know, losing Justin Ross for the year had a lot to do with that. But I kind of wondered when when Amari Rogers or and Cornell Powell are gone, how do you replace that production plus the production that ETN get? Because I think ETN caught forty nine passes last yep. year, mm-hmm. so you know it, it does. It, it is a, a, a legitimate question because for. I mean, and I think it's a case of us being spoiled watching Clemson. 
they have just reloaded at receiver every single year, whether it's, it's New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, T. Higgins, uh, Amari Rogers, Justin Ross. It's just one after the other. And this last set, this last group, which, by the way, same level recruits as, as the other guys, have not produced at the level that, that the, the previous guys did. I, I, what, what I guess the most alarming thing to me uh, from the Clemson perspective in that game, we knew Georgia, well, we should have known, everybody should have known, Georgia had a frightening defensive front, which I thought going into the season, even before Saturday, was the best in, in, in college football. Just yeah, the, the, blend, the blend of speed and athleticism and size is just extraordinary. Like, yeah. I, I think it's the, I think that's the best defense I've seen since the 2016 Alabama. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Which, so, by the way, Clemson scored a bunch on that team. Yeah, because they had a Superman at quarterback, largely. I mean, the, that offensive line wasn't great, or even, no. you know, I don't even, I wouldn't no, even but, call them really good. Yeah, I mean, they, they just wore them out with tempo, and, and but they also had some really good receivers on that team yeah. guys that are in the NFL now producing at a very high level. But anyway, the, the alarming thing to me is that, I mean, we knew the offensive line was going to be a work in progress early in the year. I mean, you got a first time, not just first time starter at center, but a first time center at center and Matt Bockhorst, right. <laughs> you have a true freshman at left guard and Mark, uh, Marcus Tate, who's going to be really good, but you know, he's, it's, 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 he's a freshman. Um, it wasn't just that it was overall, they are, they seem like a finesse offense to me, um, yeah. on, on, on the perimeter blocking and things like that. Georgia just seemed like they are built differently and they, they, they are. And, and the thing is like, we don't know about Georgia yet because you know, a lot of those offensive weapons are coming back and if they still struggle to find the end zone with them, then I don't know that we can anoint Georgia as anything either, but right at least they have the benefit of the doubt right now with Clemson. You're like, okay, you're going to have to develop the guys you got. Now, fortunately for them, the schedule allows them to do that. But unfortunately for them, the schedule also allows them to do that. Cause how do you claw your way back into the playoff hunt? If nobody respects your schedule. Now they, they can hope that, that NC state has a good year, which is entirely possible. Uh, Pitt could be very good this year. I thought Florida state looked quite a bit better yeah absolutely against notre dame so it's possible that they're going to have some games that that right now don't look that great on paper that wind up looking like really good wins at the end of the season but but right now this is this is a concern for them is if that doesn't materialize because at that at this point you're relying on boston college or Pitt or florida state to hold up their end of the bargain on that you know, it may not matter what Clemson does the rest of the way, because if, if they get into a comparison with Georgia head to head, Georgia's going to win it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the, the remaining schedule for Clemson and you're saying, yeah, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe there'll be some strong teams that they're able to collect on their resume. Andy, they could lose one of those games. And then it's a moot point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and look, if they do, this is where I think I'm, I'm thinking about what we've said so far, Larry, and we've been very negative here. <laughs> so we, we, we're uh, before, overreacting. Before, before we do this, before we get into that, the idea of Clemson losing a game and 
and, and finishing 10 and two and probably still winning the ACC, but not making the, the, the college football playoff. Uh, let's, let's everybody think back 10 years and just imagine how much you would have wished this could happen. <laughs> not 10 years, Andy, uh, like six or seven years. I mean, going into the 2015 season, yeah. if you would have told Clemson fans, you're going to the playoff, not six years in a row, just this year, they would have flipped out. Yeah. And so now it's yeah. like that or bust. So you, you make a, a great point. I, I keep thinking back to the end of the 18 season, January of 19, 44 to 16. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, including, including yours truly, um, were asking the question, man, it, has Dabo surpassed Saban? And, uh, you know, Saban had the turnstile of assistance and all that. We, we weren't used to him getting getting just boat raced to, to that degree. Yeah. In hindsight, it feels like... And tell all me, tell all me, he did was energize Saban, unfortunately. <laughs> well, in hindsight... Like, Saban's like, hold my beer. <laughs> in hindsight, it feels like... And tell me if you agree with this. When you're at the top of the mountain like that, like Clemson was... It, it is almost impossible to avoid getting complacent. It's just human nature. Yeah, and then, exactly. and you look at, at not just Alabama saying, hold my beer in response to Clemson doing what it did, but Georgia and Ohio state as well, sort of redoubling their efforts, I guess, or getting more serious, if that makes sense. And now here, those three programs are, and Clemson fans are going, are we really in their class right now? Do you think that is a, do you think that is perhaps a part of this is that the trappings of, of great success and then also sort of the motivations of, 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 of Alabama and, and others looking at Clemson and going, holy crap, we better get really serious about this. Well, it's not just that because here's the thing. Clemson never had the, the recruiting rankings that Alabama had or that Georgia has had in the past three or four years. Clemson was always kind of right there in the top five, but never number one every year yeah. or number two every year. And so their roster is not as bulletproof. So if they choose wisely, they can still be just as good as other, those other ones. But if they have a little dip, then they're not. And so I don't think this means that, that Clemson can't, you know, let's say next year, if everything comes together and everybody develops the way they're supposed to, like be just like Alabama or Georgia. They can. They absolutely can. They have the roster for it. But if they, if they have a couple misses and, and remember, I, I, I think this was the best evaluating staff in college football for 10 years. And mm-hmm. that made up for not being number one or number two in the recruiting rankings. But even the best evaluating staff is not going to be perfect. Alabama and Georgia, the way they recruit, it sort of takes a lot of the, the, the needing to be perfect out of it. If they made a mistake on somebody, great. Hit the transfer portal. Yeah. Well, and then uh, that—that's another topic. The portal; uh, th- those those programs go out and 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 cherry pick talent from the portal, whereas Clemson has yet to do that. Do you think Dabo is going to need to adapt? I mean, and, yeah. and, and the- everybody needs everybody needs to adapt. I, it's the part I don't understand. All Nick Saban does is adapt. Yep. If you're another college football coach, just do what he does. <laughs> Like, if there's something he's doing and you're like, oh, I'll never do that, stop it. Just do what he does. He's smarter than you. Um, you mentioned Florida State. I, I tell you, man, even if they would have lost by 17, 
I was uplifted by what I saw out of them, out of their body language, mm-hmm. out of their substance. Like they, how many, how many years have we seen all that after the whistle crap and mm-hmm. throat slashes and things like that? I saw none of that. And I was, it took me a half to be a believer in Norvell just off, just based off the body language that I saw and the focus and just playing ball. They're learning to play ball. Did you have the same, yep. did you walk away with the same impression? I was very impressed because that roster's not, shouldn't be good enough to hang with Notre Dame like that. It's, it's not there yet. And you're going to see when they play Clemson. I, I, I mean, unless Florida State just plays out of its mind, Clemson's going to still have no problem with them. But they've done such a good job in the transfer portal, not just picking guys at positions where they needed people, but changing the, the, their locker room, changing how their team is led. You know, Mackenzie Milton, even though, remember, he didn't get picked as a starting quarterback. He did come in, and we'll see if he winds up being the starter going forward. But from what people have told me in Tallahassee, him just being there, being around the guys, has changed the way people you know, act because he's a guy who's won before and the players respect that they respect that he was the starting quarterback on an undefeated team. Like that matters to them. And Jermaine Johnson coming from Georgia, Jermaine Johnson is the best player on their roster, which tells you everything you need to know about Georgia (laughs) and everything you need to know about Florida state. Jermaine Johnson would have been a rotation guy. He would have like, he probably would have had a sack the other night against Clemson, but he would not have been an every down guy. Like he is at Florida state because Georgia's that loaded. And so he wanted to show he's an every down guy. He goes to Florida state and he comes in bringing the knowledge of how Georgia works in the off season day in, day out. And he can pass that along to his teammates who have not really ever had to work that way and, and don't know because the coaches can say it all they want. You need to do this. You need to do that. Sometimes certain players need to hear it from another player. And I think they did a good job of selecting guys who could pass that sort of information along that players would respect. And it, it certainly seemed, I mean, they looked like a completely different team. And from a roster standpoint, they're not that much better than they were last year. If I could take this back to Clemson for a minute, you see Alabama doing what it's done on offense. You mentioned Saban adapting. Of course, he's become the pioneer of, of cutting edge offensive football. Do you, when you watch Clemson schematically, do you do you purely say, well, they don't have the offensive line, so that you can't? It's hard to do anything if you don't have the blocking. Or do you say they could be doing more things to scheme their way out of some of those weaknesses? I think they're going to have to against the better teams on their schedule. I, I, I think that if if they are going to try to play straight up and not be able to do it, then you have to scheme your way, and it's fine that they've shown. This coaching staff has shown it's capable of doing that. This coaching staff has shown it's capable of using tempo, of using formations, motion, all of those things to help the quarterback, help the skill players, and and kind of help the offensive line not have to physically dominate every single time. And and that's that's what everybody should be doing. Alabama does that too. Even though their offensive line can physically dominate, their offensive scheme is such that it doesn't always have to. Now, right. Georgia is kind of still trying to work to that point. They've never quite figured that out. I think that, that the general idea is that's what's supposed to happen. But right now they have so many skill guys hurt that the offensive line is actually more of a strength. So they just ride that. But, 
but yeah, I mean, that, that's important in, in today's game because there are going to be times when there are more rushers that, than you have blockers. And you need to have answers for that. You need to have given your quarterback those answers long before the game started. And so I, they can, these guys can do it. They've proven over the years that they can do it. I, I have no doubt in, in Tony Elliott and uh, Brandon Streeter and all those guys that they can handle this. Speaking of cutting-edge offense, I, I didn't watch Ole Miss last year at all, but I sat down and watched them Sunday night. Or I'm sorry, Monday night, I guess it was. I was blown away at the scheme. And Matt Corral, he looks like the best quarterback in the country. And and he did at times last year, too. And then he had a game where he threw six interceptions and a game where he threw five. So that's that's if he can eliminate those types of games, you're talking about the first quarterback off the board in the draft. He's, he's like a, 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 a Joe Burrow with a stronger arm and more mobile. Is that is that? Yeah, Joe's pretty mobile. Yeah, I, I oh, tell everybody equal in mobility. Um, but yes, the, the the big question coming into last year was whether you know it'd be Matt Corral or John Rice Plumley. You're like, man, John Rice Plumley's so fast and so explosive, but that undersold how how fast Matt Corral is, and also how just he's got this fighty sense in the pocket where he can get out of things. And I think you saw that against Alabama last year, where there were a lot of plays where they couldn't block for him. And he would just, okay, that's fine. I'm going to roll out here and, you know, I'll get whatever I need to get. We'll get a first down and we'll just keep on moving. Or we'll get a fourth and two. And I know because my coaching staff has told me we are going for fourth and less than this from this yard line or, or closer that we don't have to look back at the sideline. Like when I, when I get tackled at fourth and two, we just look at the sideline and get the play. We don't have to point you know, toward the end zone and say, let's go for it. We're going for it. Defenses do not like that. Defenses cannot handle that. Like it, it blows their minds when Ole Miss on, on third down gets tackled short of the stick and just lines up and runs a play. And Oh, by the way, they're probably lining up in a drastically different formation than they lined up on in, in last play, but they haven't substituted. Yeah. There's like two and a half minutes left in the game. They're up 43 to 24. And they're just running their offense, man. Corral's still in there. <laughs> they're still throwing it. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. They, they played a, a decent, you know, they played decent defense the other night. Which they is, did. Which was the thing that, that was shocking because they were not very good on defense last year. Now, look, I don't know how good Louisville was. We'll, we'll find out. I mean, they're an ACC Atlantic team, so, so you guys will see quite a bit of them this year. But I just think the fact that Ole Miss a little bit better on makes their prospects more interesting because they were already the kind of team that, that scared you that, that no matter what scared you because they could score so much, but if they can play a little bit of defense, Holy cow. They, I, I, I think they are second in the West and I think they give Bama fits. I just think they're, they're that good and that hard to hard to defend. Do you yeah, uh, it's, <clears throat> go ahead? Oh, no, go ahead. What the hell is wrong with LSU? I don't know. I don't know. They're supposed to have all this stuff fixed. The, you know, the coordinator hires are supposed to bring things back toward 2019. Not necessarily exactly like it, obviously, because it's a different set of players. But an offense is very similar to the one they ran in 2019, a defense similar to the one they ran in 2019. Defensively, they, they seem to have the same communication issues they had last year, um, You know, just assignment issues that, that haven't been – 
the scheme's different, but, but things didn't get fixed. And then offensively, they spent so much time pre-snap trying to get into the, the perfect play instead of just going, you know what? We got better athletes than these guys. Let's just, uh, let's just throw it short, let our guys catch it and see if they can do something with it. Because, you know, one time out of five, they probably are going to do something with it. And then all of a sudden it gets really interesting. If you just looked at the score of that game, you probably thought, okay, they just farted around and, and lost. But yeah, if, you, if you watch the game, they got freaking mauled. Absolutely yeah. mauled. Yeah, and that shouldn't happen. I mean, look at the recruiting rankings between those those two schools. Like, you're significantly better. You know, they, they don't have a single five-star prospect on, on their roster, and you have six on your roster. Like, you should be able to, to beat that team. And if you lose that team, it shouldn't be because you got manhandled. Yeah, that's the thing is – you know, Chip Kelly has been developing, um, and I don't, I, I don't know when, when you are when you when you're good on the line of scrimmage, like you said. I don't know that star ratings are really, and the other team is uh, doesn't hold up like like LSU didn't. I mean, it's kind of kind of a great equalizer. Well, no, I mean it matters. Like Georgia signs a bunch of five star and, and high four star offensive linemen. How'd that work out for them Saturday night? Right. Like that, they they protected their quarterback better than Clemson protected its quarterback when both defensive lines were loaded with that type of player. Is it? Is it are you kind of fascinated with how Chip Kelly is doing it? Um, I am because I don't know why it took so long. Like, well, well, I'm saying that I'm saying the 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 the, the physical physically punishing style. Uh, I'm not surprised by that. He always liked inside run. You know, he all, those Oregon teams were very good running mm-hmm. the ball inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they would beat you up up front if they could, you know, they didn't always have the, the top recruits on the line, but they did a good job developing them so that, that they made sure they were, they were hitting you in the mouth up front and their best games on offense were, were the ones where they're just handing off to little Michael James up the middle. And he's just, you know, running through these massive holes. What, uh, what, what's your take on Ohio state right now? I, I think they're good. I, I think I was more impressed with Minnesota than I was worried yeah. about Ohio state after mm-hmm. the other night. Minnesota seems pretty well built to play in, in the division they're in. You know, the big, big 10 West the best teams are, are Iowa and Wisconsin. Usually uh, that, that strikes me as a, as a lineup and a style that will play very well against Wisconsin and Iowa. So uh, I, I thought that, they, they looked fine. And then Ohio State, uh, C.J. Stroud, once he got going, I feel like was really, really good. I, I, I was impressed by him. He seemed comfortable in the pocket. He seemed able to move around, um, and, and, but not necessarily to move around to, to scramble and gain yards that way. He was, he was going to buy some time and, and find an open receiver. So I, I think Ohio State's going to be just fine. I, I'm very curious to see them against Oregon because this will probably be the best roster they see the rest of the year in terms of just pure talent. Uh, now, Kayvon Thibodeau, I don't know if he's going to play. So that, that doesn't help Oregon's case. But Justin Flo, uh, Noah Sewell, those are guys that they're dudes. I mean, they're first-round draft pick type guys. And so I want to see what, what Ohio State does against, against them. And my guess is they'll be just fine because uh, it's a good offensive line. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how deep they are on the D-line. Their front-line D-line is very good. Uh, I don't know how deep they go. 
but everything else seems very, you know, very much exactly what you'd want it to be. And, and Travion Henderson, whew, oh, man. unbelievable, it's awesome. If you're playing the shrink for uh, to for Clemson fans who are on the ledge right now and 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 fearing the worst and saying, "Up, oh, our our our." The glory days are over. We're never going to get what we got back. What, what's your what's what's the most optimistic uh, route oh, back to see, every, where they were? Everybody dips a little, and at this point, we're only talking about a one game dip. We're not even talking <laughs> about a season dip. So don't worry about that. There's still a lot of talent on that roster. They got a great defensive line. We know DJ's a good quarterback. We saw him play last year. It's not. It's going to be fine. It's just they may not make the playoff this year. Uh, and the way the system's set up and the way the ACC is right now, it, it works against them. You know, if, it, if this were 2016, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe losing to Georgia right off the bat does not work against them so much because Florida State was good. Louisville was good. You know, all of those wins would have been would have more than buoyed them, you know, through the year. This is this is a different situation. So but I think they're going to be fine. I, I'd be shocked if they didn't win at least 10 games in the regular season and, and then win the bowl game. Well, I've been telling Clemson fans, uh, look at the, the, the one of the only bright points from Saturday was just be glad this wasn't like an opening ACC showdown in Blacksburg or Raleigh because you probably would have lost. Exactly. And uh, I mean, ask North Carolina how that feels. You know, not only did they lose, not only did they, they you know, the hype train get derailed, they're now a game back in the division. Andy, thank you so much, man. I know your time's valuable. Really appreciate you joining us, man. My pleasure, Larry. All right, joined by Cole Kubelik. How you doing, man? Thanks for uh, rejoining us, uh, frequent guest, uh, guest on the podcast. Absolutely. Doing great, Larry. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, where are you headed this weekend? I'm on my way to Tuscaloosa as we speak. We got the Mercer Bears at 3 o'clock Central on SEC Network. So get a chance to see uh, number one team in person. It's always cool. I was really surprised uh, earlier this week when watching Nick Saban's press conference. <laughs> this is like the classic time for him to go off right after a, a huge win and an overmatched team coming in. And on top of that, a reporter asks <laughs> what they were planning on doing on Labor Day, on Labor Day like as if they're taking the day off. <laughs> I was just ready for him to lose it. I don't know anybody who was involved in football even recognized Labor Day. <laughs> oh, it's great. Everybody asked me, like, are y'all doing a show? Are you, are you and Greg doing your radio show? And I'm like, ah, the Monday after week one of college football? Yeah, man, we're probably going to be on the air. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be on the lake. We might, might grill, grill some brats, you know, just hanging out. Um, I, I was, I guess I should, we should stop being blown away by Alabama, but uh, not just Bryce Young, not just Jamison Williams, uh, not just the the, nor- the the names you recognize on defense. But I was I was watching them and a cornerback or defensive back number fourteen. I forgot his name. He's a sophomore. I'd never heard of him. And you just see him blowing up uh, uh, horizontal screen stuff, just tearing through blockers and and making plays. It's just remarkable how they just continue. Not just um, stockpiling talent, but also uh, the assembly line of remarkably well-trained and vicious, <laughs> uh, developed players. Does that make sense? 
Oh yeah, Brian Branch. He he is a he's a good player, versatile player, and you think about he, Malachi Moore, Josh Job, all in that secondary guys that have played a pretty good amount of football. Um, and then you had you know, Kool Aid McKinstry, some other high profile recruits, some guys that have been there for a year or two that haven't played a lot. There's going to be talent there, and there's guys that are just waiting their turn to get in and make plays, and then. You see Cam Latu on offense. You see Brian Robinson. He's been waiting four years to be the feature back. It's just, um, it, it's like a, I mean, no pun intended, it, it is like a tidal wave. I mean, just the, the talent just continues to flow in like that. It, it, the tide never really goes in. It, it seems to always just stay full. And I, I think that's a tribute. You, ha- you have to attribute that to the consistency. And, Nick Saban referenced this offseason about Bill O'Brien coming in that they're still going to run Alabama's offense. Bill's going to call it, and there are things he'll be able to do to make it his own, but it's Alabama's offense. And you heard that from Lane Kiffin. You heard it from Steve Sarkeesian. And they're all going to have their own twist on it, but the verbiage is going to stay close to the same. The, The blueprint, the foundation of it is going to be very close to the same. And that's, I think, why they're able to just sort of, you know, the defense is always going to be the same, but that, that's why they're able to just sort of plug and go. And you add that to the resources that are available, the manpower, and then just the overall talent that he accumulates. And it's, it, it feels like it makes them an unstoppable force. And I don't know why last year is more explainable because I, I think when you look at what they did last year, the culture inside of that building, I don't think gets enough credit for not just winning a title, but the way they won a title. You see the stories about Landon Dickerson holding workouts at his house and, and getting equipment and ice delivered for cold baths. And I mean, those there were a lot of kids last year, Larry, across all of college football that were looking for ways out. And not trying to minimize any of them, how or why or what. But there were very few teams that had as many guys as Alabama that were looking for ways in. I mean, they were, a lot of guys were, you know, let's take the parachute, we'll take the slide down, we'll take the emergency exit. Alabama was, you know, they brought the, they, they brought the sledgehammer to the door. They brought the grappling hooks to climb up the wall. Like they were breaking windows, like, they had the little key to be able to, you know, pick a lock. Like they were doing anything they could to get into that season. And they wanted to go try to win a title. And the culture was largely responsible for that because it's just what it's what you're expected to be when you're a part of that franchise. So I, I think that maybe last year sort of heightened that and a lot of those guys saw it. And that's why they have gotten to be ready for this year but that was super impressive I didn't expect it I thought it would be much more ground and pound I did not think it would be an offense that was as centered around the quarterback and it now left that game when I watched the film on Sunday thinking man that thing that thing goes through Bryce Young this is not a we're gonna run it and try to make people submit and then if our quarterback has to make a play here and there we think he can be able to do that it's Bryce Young's offense they just have a good running game to go with it. So it was impressive to watch. And you got guys like 
Will Anderson at defensive end that looked like he was going to be unstoppable, and then Christian Harris at linebacker and Toe Toe transfers in, and you just, there's just guys all over the place. And they they gobbled up Miami in a way that not many people thought was realistic. Bryce Young looks Bryce Young. more like a point guard than a traditional quarterback. Does that make quarterback? Does that make sense? Yeah, the way he no, distributes. Absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have the, the Trevor Lawrence stature. You know, um, I think it, that's definitely fair. And I, I think what comes with that is is the twitch and how quick he can change directions. And that's not just running right and then cutting left. That's turning his body from being able to throw to the right hash to go to the left hash or being able to leave one part of the pocket, get to another part of the pocket and then set up and get the ball out. Just, you don't see a lot of quarterbacks that are as twitched up as he is. And usually when they are, they don't really have the understanding of being able to find that calm after they're exerting a full amount of energy to either reset and deliver a pass or deliver a pass on the run. A lot of quarterbacks who can usually move like that, it's always 100 miles an hour. And he has a really good feel for you know, go full speed and then kind of relax, be able to deliver football or set up, relax, deliver football. And that's something that you know, we, we, we keep getting surprised about all these quarterbacks that show up in college ready to play, but it, it does feel like it's becoming more the norm. And I think it's just there's more camps, there's more seven-on-seven, seven, there's more quarterback competitions growing up. There's, all these guys have private coaches now. So I think the high, especially the higher-profile quarterbacks, the ones that in – seventh grade eighth grade they probably know they're going to be playing power five football they know the things to do to go get prepared it's not just show up on campus start getting ready to be a division one quarterback i mean these guys ninth tenth grade are starting to prepare to be division one quarterbacks communication now when watch i had gone to stockton's game in raven county a couple weeks ago and you just you hear about the things that he's doing. You hear about the way that he's preparing. I mean, that that guy's been getting ready to be a Power Five quarterback for three or four years now. He's amazing. So, he's amazing. yeah, he's been just a fun player to watch. So, you know, I don't I don't think these young men anymore are. Man, I just hope I can get that scholarship, and then once I get there, we'll start learning how to do it. No, they want to know how to do it before they decide where they're going, and then most of them are going to try to get there early to get a head start on that entire process and then hope everything works out whether it's like Trevor and he you know quarter of the way through his freshman year he starts or Bryce Young and boom right off the bat his redshirt freshman year he's starting either way those guys are coming in more prepared than ever before Alabama was uh, relatively down last year on defense Clemson was down on defense last year both of them return a ridiculous amount of talent Georgia lost a good bit on the back end from last year but still <laughs> has just an absurd uh, defensive front uh, on the line and, and at linebacker. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that after five or six years of offense is lighting it up and that being sort of the key to winning a title that this year is when defense is going to answer and have sort of the last word just based on how fortified 
uh, a lot of these elite programs are on the defensive side of the ball? I think it depends on the extent in which you really believe that's going to happen. I mean, let's let's just look at Saturday for a minute. It felt like we were living in 1992 again. <laughs> you know, Wisconsin and Penn State couldn't get a touchdown. Georgia Clemson couldn't get a touchdown. And by the way, I have no problem with that. I'm all for it. I actually think it makes it more tense than 42-45 with a minute and a half to go. Because at, at that point, you're just kind of like, okay, they're going to score to go up, but how much time is going to be left for the other team to get the ball and potentially go and score and go up again? Rather than, all right, we might only have one more shot to get even a field goal here or a touchdown. Like Every play means that much more in those kind of games, to me at least. And maybe other people don't watch it that way. So I had an pre- I loved watching that Penn State-Wisconsin game. I wish I would have been able to watch Georgia-Clemson live. I was doing Florida FAU, but going back and watching the film, I was just, I mean, I'm sitting there kind of on the edge of my seat, like, ah, are they going to be able to do anything here towards the end? There's only so many chances left. So I think what you're going to see is defenses in general are going to bounce back from what they were last year. It's funny that I'm on my way to Tuscaloosa right now. We had the Kentucky game here a year ago. I think it was week seven, eight, something like that. I mean, number one team in the nation, rolling through everybody. And we had a chance to visit with Coach Saban. And I said, Coach, I just want to ask you because we all obviously trust and respect your defensive acumen and your background. A lot of defenses are really struggling this year. What what would you attribute that to? And he gave us a great answer, but he kind of summed it up before he went into detail. And it's something that we all should have thought about, something we all should have sort of known. He said, listen, these offenses, they can go out there and they can work their mesh. They can take snaps. They can throw. They can work the timing on their routes. They can run their motions. You know, they can they can have their hots and their checks and different things and option plays. He said, what's my defense going to do? Mm-hmm. Defense, defense can't do a damn thing on air. That was his exact quote. And it was almost like a pie-in-the-face moment. Because I know I wasn't the only one before the season saying, oh, these defenses are probably going to dominate because it's going to be see ball, get ball, the timing, the rhythm is all going to be off. The chemistry is going to be off offensively. They're going to be dropping snaps and they're going to be sailing balls and they're being intercepted. And, you know, offensive linemen are going to be getting just blown up because they haven't been able to practice the way they want to. And it didn't happen that way. But I thought the way that he, he phrased it, was great. And I think that's why a team like Ole Miss, Monday night, you saw them take a pretty big step. I'm not saying they're a top 20 defense in the nation. And I don't care who it was against. Larry, I had Ole Miss four times last year. They didn't tackle anybody. Yeah. Like they, they couldn't get people to the ground. And so just to see them in the open field a couple of times against pretty good athletes, actually be able to get the ball carrier on the turf, I was like, this is different. I don't recognize this from them. So I, I think now with the spring and then with a little bit more of a normal fall and a regular off season. And I, we talked to Zachary Carter in Florida and he said, listen, communication is the biggest difference right now. The fact that I'm able to go bowling with my teammates or we watch a movie at somebody's house or we go hang out or we can just sit in the locker room and talk. He said, we didn't have that for a year. 
He's like, I, I feel like I didn't even know my teammates when we went out to play on Saturday. So I do think defenses are going to bounce back to a certain extent. Now, just because of where offense is in general, is it going to dominate the day most most weeks? Probably not. But it's gonna we're going to see an uptick. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you know, these offenses keep innovating, but so do defenses. Defenses are going to catch up to a lot of the things that are having success, and then you're going to have to see something else come off that. I think that's why you know, Coastal Carolina's having success. You look at what Chip Kelly's doing at UCLA right now. There's some triple option stuff that he's running with that, and he's mixing zone and gap scheme at the same time. It's some really cool stuff. So people, are, again, they're beginning to morph a little bit, going back to some different things, trying to find a way to work them in because people aren't preparing for them. So I, it will be better, but I just don't know if defenses are going to necessarily be dominant. So you were at Athens for the uh, G-Day game back in, in the spring, and, and you were really, the, I think, the first one, or at least the one that got my attention, uh, on Georgia in talking about how physically imposing they are, how big they are. And obviously they lost some of those guys, or they didn't have some of those guys last week, and Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington, but still physically imposing across the board. Uh, what did you make of that game, particularly relative to Clemson's offense? You know, we have Clemson fans who are uh, ready to say they're doomed on offense and 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 uh, they're basically behind the curve. What what's your what's your impression of where Clemson's offense is right now? Not just in the context of of what happened Saturday, but maybe even dating back to last year when they struggled some against Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, were not able to keep up. Uh, just your general feeling on, on, on where they are right now. I think that some of the things that were that were highlighted against Georgia, I, I don't really view them as new. They, they haven't been a group that has won by being dominant up front under Dabo. That just, it's not been their MO. It's not been who they are. Um, and could, could that be something that needs to be addressed soon it's very possible um i mean to have a guy like travis atn with a quarterback like trevor lawrence who you know can force defenses to play you back and be 11th in the acc and rushing is in, in my opinion unacceptable but they were able to work their way around it i think they did the things they had to do to, to find ways to move the ball last year so you remove some of that and then things are a little bit new you're not able. To, you're not as able to be as complicated or diverse offensively, and then you run into a team that is just superior physically, and you're going to have some problems. So, I, I think if the good news is they're not going to play another front like that in the regular season, and there was only a handful that they could see that would even be close in the postseason. So it's like I I try not to take obviously I do Birmingham I do radio in Birmingham and so Alabama comes up a lot and I have a phrase that I call butt Bama that's I just try to have fun with because a lot of times I'll compliment a Clemson player or a South Carolina <laughs> player or a Texas player or an Iowa State player and uh, like this Charlie Kolar now uh, at that Iowa State, it's a fun tight end. You see Cam Latu? What Cam Latu did? Like, I don't really, I don't see how that has to do with anything because I wasn't even talking about that guy. But I mean, it's it's Bob Bama, you know. So I don't, I try not to use Alabama as a gauge for a lot of teams because it's just not even fair. 
And I think this Georgia defense is probably pretty close to that, especially in the middle. When you think about Jordan Davis, Devonta Wyatt, Julian Rochester, I mean, the, the, the size, the girth, the strength, the power that they can add inside, it just it changes everything. And then they just have – they got edge guys falling off trees over there. And they can just line them up. And it can be a, it can be a lighter guy. It can be a heavier guy. It can be kind of a prototypical 3-4 end. It can be a, a prototypical 4-3 end. It can be a stand-up hybrid linebacker. It's just they got a lot of different guys off the edge that they can hit you with. And, you know, it, it's not just power. One thing that Georgia does, and they've done it under Kirby and Dan Lanning does a good job with it, is their stunts and their pressures are run – with exact precision. Like you see a lot of teams that will run a linebacker defensive tackle twist or a three-man game where it's two D linemen, the linebacker loops around, and you know, they're just kind of trying to get through the gap and get there. These guys are hugging the hip yes. of the of those defensive linemen. And I mean it's it's almost like watching NASCAR. Like when the, like you don't realize how close those cars are running to each other until you're at a race. Like until you really watch the film and focus in on it, you you don't realize just how quickly, like boom, boom, that that D tackle comes across and the linebacker is like whoop right behind his hip, and you're like, man, that's that's tough to stop. So I think all of that together just makes it that much more difficult. But back to your question, I don't think there's anything wrong with the offense. It's just that's why football is great. Matchups are fun. Matchups make the game. And physically, it was a mismatch for Clemson on Saturday night. It's not going to be that every week. And I would assume if they played again this week, you would see a very different plan as how they wanted to attack that defense. So it's just it's the way that one played out. It, it might need to be addressed more so than it has been, but I'm not throwing the towel in on Dabo or Clemson or Tony Elliott or DJ Lingalay or or Brandon Galloway or Will Shipley or any of those guys. Like it's you just got beat. It was a bad matchup. You didn't play well and you try to correct the mistakes and move forward. You mentioned low scoring games. Have you ever seen this statistic in a low scoring one score game, one team whose running backs total nine carries, which Clemson's did? It's it's not ideal. It's not what <laughs> it's not what we look at and say, oh, that's winning football. But I'll say this: if you're a Clemson fan, would you rather have had a? I'm trying to remember the exact year. I think it was 2014, maybe LSU at Alabama with Leonard Fournette when they literally are running up their run, they're lined up in the eye <laughs> yeah. and they're running that eye toss to Leonard yep. Fournette yeah. over and over and over. And it's like Ashawn Robinson <laughs> just keeps gobbling it up, and you're like, can you throw a pass across the line of scrimmage? <laughs> I mean, something. So, it, I would almost, I would, I would be okay getting away from that if it felt like our best opportunity to be successful was not to do that. And if you're not getting anything there and that's not helping you set up other things, then there's really no point in it. But I think the problem there became Georgia was able to stymie those handoffs in that run game with so few numbers in the box that it, it didn't leave you much of an option because when they did add numbers, then you knew it wasn't going to get going. 
So I think it was going to have to be quick game, and it was going to have to be finding some matchups. But when they found those matchups, your quarterback didn't look comfortable or quarterback didn't have enough time to be able to take advantage of it down the field. Should be a fun be season fun. if, if uh, the first weekend is any indication. Man, I appreciate you joining us, and have a great time down in Tuscaloosa visiting with uh, with all the Bama coaches and and, and covering uh, truly a, a, a special uh, team and program uh, this year. Thanks, Cole. Hey, Larry, I always appreciate you joining us, and uh, I'm glad to join you anytime, man. Thank you so much. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. If you're in the eastern Midlands and PD area, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. Okay, joined by Brett McMurphy of Action Network. Man, one of the best reporters in the business by far. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast, man. Glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Larry. I appreciate it. What is, first of all, what is it? You are you have been a sort of a master of reinvention over the years. Um, we're ESPN, and then uh, maybe just I guess enlighten folks on your journey since then. When you said master, I thought you were going to go with master of your domain. So I appreciate that. <laughs> that too. Uh, yeah, that too. Um, that's another story. Yeah. So basically, you know, I was a longtime uh, reporter with the Tampa Tribune. I covered the University of South Florida, covered the Big East, covered college football there. And, you know, around 2007, 8, 9, I noticed that unfortunately what the future of newspapers looked like and it wasn't very good so i was able to to jump online i worked for america aol fan house may it rest in peace um covered sports there as a national college reporter and then from there went to cbs sports and then got a 
I got on at ESPN for a few years until they laid off half the company and I was part of the layoffs. And then I went to Stadium Sports, which was a basically a digital sports network. And then my deal with them expired in August and I got a deal with Action Network. And so, you know, basically at Stadium, they're heavily involved with the regional sports networks across the country and cable TV. Uh, you know, while not as drastic as newspapers, certainly that future does not look um, very promising. And so I had this opportunity to get on with the Action Network and basically keep doing what I'm doing, report college football news, uh, hopefully break some news, um, you know, do the same stuff I've always done covering college football just for a new company. And they're obviously they've got a emphasis on sports betting. Um, you know, the more states that legalize sports betting, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And so I do make some picks, you know, from each week, but I'm not, a, I'm not high. I wasn't hired to be a tout or anything like that. It was just keep, keep reporting on college football. I was, you know, fortunate enough to break the Nebraska NCAA investigation story my first week there. And it had some other stuff. And so uh, still vote in the AP poll, vote for the Heisman with uh, 99% of the rest of America and, you know, a lot of other things. So, um, yeah, it's just I've, I've been fortunate to kind of, you know, take a, take a chance to kind of get out of your comfort zone and try something new. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. Back when you left ESPN and were part of that, I guess, that round of layoffs, what year was that? Uh, that would be 2005, 10, 11, all runs together. Six, 15 or 16 is when I was laid off, but I still had 18 months left on my contract. And that's what I, I think maybe a lot of people don't understand is when they did those mass layoffs, like Mark May, um, I think he had just signed a five-year deal, literally like a month before. Well, so they lay him off. Well, what's that mean? Well, that means Mark May gets paid for the next five years by ESPN, um, the same amount that he would have got if he still worked there. Now, the caveat is you they, you have a non-compete clause in your contract, meaning you know, once I was laid off, I could go work somewhere. Um, but once I started to go work somewhere, if it's before my original contract expired, ESPN was no longer on the hook for paying me. So basically, they figured a lot of hardworking, aggressive journalists would go find other jobs. They wouldn't want to just sit around all day on their couch and eat fiddle-faddle. The problem was the market was, you know, was flooded with people that had been laid off. Sports Illustrated had done layoffs, a couple of other other companies. And so basically, um, you know, when I got laid off, I tried to find other jobs before my 18 months ended, but there simply wasn't anything out there. So I just started reporting on my Facebook page and my Twitter page because that did not violate the <laughs> non-compete clause in my contract. And then obviously, you know, I, I got, got a tip about this, wide receivers coach at Ohio state named Zach Smith and some of the domestic violence issues in his past. And so I broke that on my Facebook page. And obviously that, that blew up when, when urban lied about not having any knowledge of it and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that, um, that was probably the best thing that could have happened for me because <laughs> it's so weird. Cause now, you know, when you see somebody break something, it's, you know, 
um, reported by Sports Illustrated or Fox <laughs> Reports or Action Network. Why well, I, I wasn't working for anybody, so people were crediting me, like yeah. reported by Brett McMurphy. So that was kind of surreal, the whole way that thing happened. And then also the, the thing that really helped, and I always joke with Steve Levy, you know, that I am, uh, you know, couple of cases of beer is when I was still in that non-compete phase, I broke the story that Scott Frost was going from UCF to Nebraska. Well, I broke it during the UCF Memphis American conference title game. And so Steve Levy's on the air and says, you know, there's multiple reports out there that Scott Frost will be headed to Nebraska. Um, you know, first reported by our own. Brett <laughs> That's Murphy. right. I forgot about so that. <laughs> that blew up because everybody's like, you know, hey, dumbass, ESPN laid him off. So, but look, I, Steve's great. It's awesome. It wasn't, you know, he didn't do that on purpose. Sure. I mean, look, you couldn't keep, you know, it was hard to keep track of who was laid off and who wasn't. But, um, but yeah, that stuff obviously kept me, kept my name out there. And um, so then when my 18 months were up, I was able to, to get on the stadium and, and enjoyed it there for three years. But, you know, like I said, I, I think that, you know, action's got a much brighter future with everything they're aligned with. Um, because, um, and so that's, that's basically where I'm at now. If you were to take a hundred sports writers who were in the same situation, uh, you know, under that non-compete arrangement, I would say a hundred of them would not think of something like that of, Oh, I just posted on Facebook. That's, I mean, a brilliant, idea how did you come up with it was it just a simple fact a matter of well i i have i I still have sources and i still am following the news i guess i'll just i guess i'll just post it on facebook or did somebody give you the uh, maybe give you the advice to do that how did that come about no no larry it was all it's kind of like the big 12 ad in those four schools it's survival i mean it's i again i could have sat on my couch for, for 18 months and and you know had snacks all day and watched, you know, binge watched every show under on the face of the earth and not done anything. And I would have got paid by ESPN. But then when those 18 months were up, you know, how marketable would I be? How in demand would I be if I haven't done anything in 18 months? So it was more like, you know what, I still, I still want to try to be as relevant as possible. You know, people, you know, know, can know where I'm at because of, of Twitter and, social media and so i just thought you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna report what i can report and put it on facebook and twitter and you know look the people that i you know that i talked to um you know various sources throughout college football you know they've talked to me whether i worked at the tampa tribune or AOL fan house or you know espn or or stadium or, or action network um you know i'm sure some people talk to me because hey you're at espn but the majority of people talk to me because of me and not because where I work. And so I just wanted to keep, I wanted to stay relevant. And, um, yeah, I had no idea it would blow up into what it, how it blew up. And, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to still try to break news and show, show people, Hey, you know, I'm still, I'm still valuable. I can still do this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not dead, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't forget about me. Um, and then I was fortunate to break some stuff, but it was, it was a, obviously I've never experienced anything like that time, but it was, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to see it was a neat situation to go through, but it, obviously you, I can't understate the fact 
I, I knew I had the security of knowing that I was getting paid every two weeks. So there wasn't like, oh my God, where, you know, how are we going to put food on the table or anything like that? So I don't want to give that, um, make it sound like that at all. But the good news was, you know, if I thought, you know, Hey, I got a tip about something, I could track it down. I was like, okay, I'll look into this or, or I may not. There wasn't like that sense of urgency where, you know, where you're with a company and you're like, Oh man, you know, I got to follow every tip I get. Like, you know, you, you're, you're locked in with Clemson, everything you hear about Clemson, you've got to react to immediately. Why? It wasn't that case with me because if I got beat on a story, I guess technically I'm not getting beat on a story because I'm not even employed by somebody. (laughs) So I could kind of pick and choose stories that I wanted to pursue. And if I got, if again, if I got quote beat on something, I didn't feel like I got beat on it because I actually wasn't working. So that was kind of therapeutic. You were, so you were quite literally playing with house money. Yes. <laughs> and then the, the funny thing is, so when ESPN, you know, ESPN called everyone on that day, um, it was in, it was in April. It was around my birthday. I remember. And I saw the number pop up and I was like, Oh shit. I know what this is about because we knew that we knew the layoffs were coming down. And I said to them, I said, look, you're going to, I'm getting paid for the final 18 months, right? They go, absolutely. You get paid every two weeks, just like you did before. And I said, okay, look, how about this? I won't travel. I won't have any expenses. Um, If you need me to do video, I can do it from home. I can do whatever. You will not pay me a penny more than you're going to pay me for the next 18 months. Can I keep working for you? And they said no. So if they would have said yes, they would have had Urban Meyer. They would have had Scott Frost. They, you know, several other other stories that I broke in that time. But it's kind of funny. Uh, Deadspin did a story on me and said basically ESPN paid me <laughs> to break the Urban Meyer story, but couldn't, but had to credit me because I was no longer. An employee. I can't get over that. That is, did you get any type of blowback from them for that? No, not at all. Um, At first they said uh, initially, and it was, it was through, they had a lawyer. It it wasn't like, and look, the people that I work with there are absolutely great. Um, You know, I have no issues with them. You know, they would have a lawyer reach out and say, Hey, you need to, you know, you need to keep in mind about the non-compete. If you violate that, you violate the contract and, you know, and basically I'd respond to them and I'd say, um, can you be more specific? And they go, well, let's get on a call. And I'm like, no, I don't want to get on a call. I want you to send it to me in writing because that way you can't, you know, it's cut and dried what it was. And then basically, you know, I'm sure they talked to other people there and said, look, he had his he had Facebook before he worked at ESPN. He had Twitter before he worked at ESPN. We can't keep him from posting stuff on his personal accounts. Um, and then from that point on, you know, there, there was really nothing, but no, during that time when I broke all that stuff, I, so many of those people I worked with at ESPN, they would text me and say, man, you're crushing it. I love you. I went, I went on the air. I went on the air today and I made sure to emphasize that the story was reported by Brett McMurphy. And I mean, that made me feel really good. And there's, there's one report. I don't want to tell you who it is because I don't know if they want it out there, but two things that, that really will stick with me forever. One is a reporter who still works at ESPN 
sent me a text and said, and I didn't look at, look at it this way. I'm just trying to report stuff and stay relevant. But they said, you know, your reporting of, of Urban Meyer and all that stuff with Zach Smith. They said that is, that is the greatest, um, how they phrase it. That is the greatest going away, <laughs> um, or get back to a former employer that you can ever have. That's the greatest F you ever. <laughs> Or something, and then the other thing that this really meant a lot. It's somebody, um, you know, you you can guess. I won't tell you, but they are currently a sports anchor for ESPN. I know this person pretty good. I mean, we're not like best friends, you know. Um, I've got to know him through working at ESPN and stuff. Um, again, we're not best buddies or anything, but know each other okay during all this time when i was reporting this stuff they sent me a text message and said hey you know you're crushing it man great job hey i just wanted to let you know i don't know what your financial situation is like but if you need any money to help with your reporting let me know and i'll help you out what? and i was, I was like <laughs> so blown away because hey, i'm i'm obviously competition for ESPN, obviously I'm not, you know, the anchor could care less who breaks stuff, but still the fact that, that they would sit there and offer, offer to help, you know, help me report on these stories, taking into consideration if I had financial issues, that just, that just blew me away. And I know, look, ESPN gets criticized for a lot of things and a lot of it's deservedly so, but there's a lot of really, really good people there. Um, it's, it's kind of like guilt by association, but, you know, I'd say, you know, 99.9% of the people there uh, were great to me and, you know, I loved working with them and it just, it just sucked that the company and the, the higher ups decided they needed to cut people because the, the stock numbers weren't what they wanted to be or what they needed to be or whatever the reason and reasoning for making all these moves were. So back then it was a, it was a shock to hear Brett McMurphy and other some other, I forgot some of the other notable names are 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 gone. Uh, now, you know, several rounds of layoffs later, it's just it's not it's not even remotely shocking anymore to hear some of these giants that are that are no longer with the company. What do you? It, it, ESPN seems like a shell of what it used to be. What do you make of that decline and the reasons behind it? You mentioned the stock prices and all that. What's your sort of assessment of, of, of how they've uh, eroded, I guess? Well, I think, you know, as I talked earlier about stadium and kind of how they're struggling a little bit because of the cable network industry, obviously ESPN is a great example of that. And I think with the exception of maybe a handful of people there, Stephen A. Smith, uh, Scott Van Pelt, probably Adam Schefter, maybe a couple more. Everybody there is expendable. And, you know, that's not a slight against any of those people. I was expendable. Uh, but, yeah, there were a ton of people that got laid off that were 100 times better than I was. And I, I'll be the first to say that. I mean, Andy Katz, Andy Katz was like Mr. ESPN, and he got laid off. Uh, Jason Stark, I mean, look – we could list them all and take two hours. I think now though, uh, the big thing is because there's so many non-traditional media, mar- media outlets now, you know, you got Dan Levitard doing his 
basically what he did at ESPN, but he's doing it for himself. You don't have to work at the 100-pound or 100-million-pound gorilla to be relevant, to be have be impactful, and that's something that I that I learned really quickly breaking stuff on Facebook. You know, I didn't have to ha- I didn't have to have the I didn't have to have the ESPN airwaves to be able to to you know break one of the biggest stories in in college football that year. Um, you know, and that kind of showed me that wow, if you've got good relevant information and you know people like what you're doing, they're going to find you and. And um, it, it makes it easier to be successful that way. Obviously, it helps. I had a background at ESPN, so people were aware of who I was. Um, and so now I think you see the, you know, all these people going into non-traditional media. You know, Ryan Rosillo. Um, you know, there's a million of them. Adnan Virg, um, You know, all these different people. And so I think because all these different non-traditional media, you know, outlets, networks, whatever you want to call them, have popped up. I think that's a lot of people are going and to these places because they no longer have to work at ESPN to be able to do these sort of things. And they can go, you know, Dan Patrick, obviously he's been gone for a while, but Dan Patrick has kind of created his own, like he's a, a media company with, you know, upon himself. And so I think, I think that's part of it. Um, and quite frankly, ESPN is, is cut down on the number of employees they've had because they've cut down on the number of live shows they do, the number of sports centers, and they've certainly put their emphasis on TV rights. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, I seem to hear a lot, you probably do too, is people say, well, I only watch ESPN for the games. Um, and so if that is true and the numbers are down for their non-live um, sporting events, then you simply don't need as many people uh, that, that you have in the past. Back in 2014, uh, ESPN had decided to create several positions across the country. It was like they were rivalry positions. And one of them, they asked, uh, sort of reached out to me. They wanted to create one for the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry, like a full-time position. Back then, of course, the that was a really good rivalry. Um, really entertaining and marketable rivalry when Spurrier was there and going back and forth with Dabo and all that. So I was, of course, wanting to jump at the chance to do, you know, work for ESPN, you know, it's the gold standard at that time. Well, Texas A&M comes to Columbia in the opener of 14 and beats the crap out of them. And then uh, the folks at ESPN said, yeah, we're going to put that on the back burner for now. And initially I was kind of upset, like, wow, that was my chance to, you know, to work for ESPN. But ever since it's been, that's the best break I've ever gotten because had I had that materialized, who knows? I I probably, I don't know if I'd be working for them or not. If I were, I might be in Manhattan, Kansas or something like that right now, you know, (laughs) uh, for one of their other ideas. But the fact that the fact that their whims changed just on the result of one game. I just remember being like, I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, you're talking about careers here, you know, and, and people's lives and, Oh no, I don't think we're gonna do that anymore. <laughs> but it was, uh, very, I was very fortunate of course, in hindsight, because, um, 
uh, would not have been a good move. But anyway, even back then, that was sort of a sign that, man, things aren't all all they're cracked up to be or what you think they are maybe at ESPN working for them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, I'm not, you know, I don't want to sit here and I, I don't want people to think, oh, I'm slamming ESPN because that's not, that's not how I view that place and certainly not the, the, my experience with working there. But they do, you know, they do, um, you know, they'll take some chances. And I think, you know, probably around that time, you go back a little bit further, they used to have like B writers for probably the top, I don't know, 20, top 30 power five schools. Um, and they would do day, you know, have those reporters there. Um, and then that kind of like, okay, they weren't get, you know, bottom line, they weren't getting enough traffic off the website um, to justify having all those people. And so those people either got reassigned or laid off or when the contract was up, they weren't renewed and they kind of got rid of it. And, um, yeah, it used to be a, a lot bigger operation, but, you know, certainly they, they cut back b- because of, uh, you know, they, it used to be when they would go hire somebody, they would just outbid other companies and hire people. And, um, and then, but now they, you know, they've obviously, you know, reeled it back because of, you know, the financial situations that are impacting everybody. And, yeah, you know, it it obviously is a much different place, but it is funny when you mentioned you went to go, you thought you'd go work for him. When I initially, I actually, um, I was at CBS Sports, and I was, I had two weeks of vacation coming up, and then after that vacation, I was going to make a determination um, that I was going to go to USA Today. I was going to be their national. Um, college football columnist and I basically had made that decision Um, I I left CBS but when my deal I didn't have a deal with them but I told them you know that I had an offer from USA Today and they basically said okay well we're going to give you like an additional $5,000 or something and I'm not saying that's not a lot of money and look every bit of money is a lot of money but compared to what USA Today was offering me it was it was chump change. And yeah. so I was prepared. I was going to USA Today, even though I had concerns about going to a newspaper. And obviously, they're more than a newspaper. They're digital. And so literally, the I was going to do that on a Monday. Literally on the Friday before that Monday, Ed Placey of ESPN called me out of the blue. He's one of the, the higher-ups at ESPN and college football and said, hey, Brett, would you want to be a college football reporter for us? And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. Um, we want to add another college football reporter to work, you know, with Joe Shad, kind of like we have Mort and Schefter doing the NFL. And I was like, wow, well, Monday I'm actually going to sign with USA Today. And I'm like, well, hold on, hold on. Give us a week. We can talk to you. And, and I said, well, I have, Ed, I have absolutely 0% TV experience. And they're like, that's okay. We'll teach you. Well, I'm, st- I'm still waiting for those lessons. But, what happened is when ESPN made me their first offer, it was, it was ridiculously low because they're so, like you just said, they're so used to everyone saying, Oh, I've always wanted to work at ESPN. I wanted to go work at ESPN where they offer you less than market value because so many people will jump to go to ESPN. And I had an agent back then. I told my agent, I said, I'm not accepting that. You know, I, 
I grew up as a as a print reporter, as a print journalist. I didn't have these these dreams of going on TV and working at ESPN. So maybe I looked at it differently. But they came back for another offer. I said, no, I'm not. That's not. Why would I take less money to go to ESPN? So that went on for for several days. Finally, the number got up to similar to what USA Today. I think actually USA Today offered me more, but it was close enough that I thought long term. ESPN would have, I'd have more stability at ESPN rather than going to USA Today, which is a newspaper. <laughs> Little did I know that you know I would get laid off four and a half years later. But yeah, it was. I, I, I'm. I promise you that that was a blessing in disguise for you because you would have signed on. They would have, you know, given given you a one or two year deal, and then that deal's up, and then they're like, okay, well yeah, we decided to shift gears and then you're kind of like, well, I kind of thought I'd be here for, you know, forever. And now I'm not. And then you're scrambling and your family's scrambling on, you know, what in the world am I going to do next? So I'm fascinated and I am eternally admiring of national, the really good national reporters who are able to stay on top of a lot of things I just don't know how you do it because with me, yes, I, I am responsible for being on top of something, but it is one thing. <laughs> and, and the longer I'm here, I've been here for 18 years, uh, the e- not easier, but the more networked you are and plugged in oh, and all absolutely. that. So the longer I'm at, uh, the longer you're at one place, the, the, you know, the easier it is to do your job. Whereas, I just, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, is it, does it ever get old or do you kind of live for that particular um, aspect of the job where you're constantly texting and, and on the phone and, and networking and things like that? No, it certainly doesn't get old. And, you know, and I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it doesn't get old. I mean, I was a beat guy. I covered USF, so I know I can relate a thousand percent with your experiences covering Clemson. The longer you're you're with covering a program, the more you know, the more people you know, the more. And if you do your, you know, if you do a good job like you do, then people will trust you. They'll confide in you. That will lead to more stories and on down the road. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no real secret to this. You just kind of try to try to get as much stuff as you can. And look, I realize you know there's a bunch of other good people that cover. Um, college football. You mentioned Andy. I work with him at the Tampa Tribune. Love the guy. He is tremendous with the athletic. Um, there's a number of other people that do really good jobs. But look, I, at least me, I don't know what other people think about it. I, I realize, you know, look, I'm not going to break every story. I mean, I'm probably not going to break half of all the stories, and maybe even a third, maybe, maybe even not even a tenth of them. There's just so much stuff out there. So it's just, I try to, you know, get us whatever I can and break it and report it. And, um, you know, it, it obviously keeps you on your toes. There's a lot of stuff going on and depending on what's going on in college football, you know, there's different kind of topics or hot button items depending on the year. I mean, you know, 10 years ago it was expansion. Now it's expansion and realignment again. You know, it was, it was, uh, NIL, it was the, the college football playoff. It was, you know, you can go on and on about all the different things. And then you've got this stuff, you know, for the individual schools that, that go on. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. But it's just, 
there's no, I don't have a, like a secret bullet or any, any magic formula. You just kind of, you do, it's just like reporting anything. And if anyone's out there that, that wants to learn about reporting, I would just say this, the more people you talk to, the more you're going to find out information. And that's the bottom line. If you don't talk to anybody, you're not going to learn anything. And, you know, get to know people as people. Don't, you know, don't, uh, if you're covering a football program, and I, I'm sure you do this, if you if you have time to go talk to an assistant coach or a player or something, instead of grilling them about this week's game, get to know them as a person. Get to see what they're like. You know, get to know what their interests are outside of football. And just get to know them. And then so that then they can relate to you as a person and not just a reporter trying to suck information out of them. And then bottom line is, if they trust you, you treat them right, they tell you it's off the record, it stays off the record, then they're more likely to help you out down the road. And then, you know, obviously that's like a snowball down the mountain. And the more you, you know, as long as they can trust you, people will talk to you. As long as you treat people well, 99% of them will, will treat you well and try to help you when they can. And so that's, you know, that's basically what I've tried to do through the years and you know, some some people you get along with, some people you don't. That's that's the way of the world, and I just try to try to do the best I can. You know, I'm sure you get uh, young people, uh, college kids, whatever, uh, on a fairly regular basis, asking you for advice. You know, how do I? You know, I want to do this. What what do I do? You know, how do I how do I how do I do what you do? And the answer is harder than ever to give um, because the normal ladder uh, for a sports writer is, has been obliterated. You know, you, okay, you go to journalism school or you do, and, or you do internships in college, a local newspaper, then you graduate, then you go to a small paper, you cover high schools for a couple of years, then you go to a bigger paper. Well, now it's like, what do you, (laughs) what, I'm not going to advise somebody to, to do that right now because the job might not even exist. And so, but I think you're, you are an example of what I, what I tell them a lot is I, I can't really clearly articulate for you, you know, what to do like a roadmap, but I can tell you that if you can get information before anybody else, then you can make a living doing this. And so if you're a college kid, you know, use your connections and you might be in a class with a few players, you know, get to know them. Right. Um, you know, because the Adam Schefters and, and, you know, the big breakers of the world like you, um, it, it just does, just goes to show it regardless of the medium, it still goes back to relationships and, and being able to get stuff, uh, get information before anybody else has it. You're dead, you're dead on. It's 100% about relationships. And, um, you know, will, will people trust you or not? And that's what I tell, you know, young journalists is that if someone tells you it's off the record, then you can, don't, you can't, you don't, do not use it. Because you know what? If we're having a conversation, I said, hey, Larry, this is off the record. And then the next day you publish it or you go on the air with it or whatever your outlet is, then you know what I think? okay, I'm never talking to that guy again because I can't trust the guy. But you know what? If I tell you, hey, man, you can't use this, you don't use it, and then the news gets out some other way, you know what I think is, wow, he kept his word. 
Even though other people got it and got it out, he kept his word. So what do I do? Then next time I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll help Larry out. He, he kept his word. And yeah, it's, it's total relationships. And also for upcoming journalists, the, the thing I tell them is, look, I don't want to tell anybody not to get in the business, but I, I want to make this very clear. <laughs> do not do this because you think you're going to make a lot of money because that is, that is um, one million percent inaccurate. If you love reporting, if you love doing that, then yeah, do it. But you're right. If you can, if you can find, find a niche is something to do something better than other people are doing it, whether it's reporting, whether it's recruiting rankings, whether it's evaluating players, whether I, you know, whatever it is, absolutely do that. Um, I think it's more challenging for people that want to be um, like a studio host or an, or a sports center anchor or something like that, just because um, there's so many of those and it's, it's not really, um, you know, you, you can, people are either going to like you or they're not, if that makes sense. Like, it's not going to say, oh, wow, that guy, that guy read that script so much better than the other guy. So we're going to, we're going to hire that guy. I mean, yes, you, you know, you watch TV, you know, people that you like better than others. But again, you want to be able to have, you want to have some kind of quality or something that other people don't have to make yourself more valuable, you know, um, for your, for your long-term future. Um, you know, in journalism, whatever journalism is going to look like, you know, a day from now, a week from now, or a year from now. What is your philosophy on using Twitter, monitoring Twitter, interacting with people on Twitter or just on social media in general, I guess I should say. Um, you know, I used to, when I was, at the Tampa Tribune, I would probably respond to every Twitter response that I got. When I was at the Tampa Tribune, I had 2,300 people that followed me on Twitter. Now I have almost, <laughs> blows me away to say this, now I have almost 250,000 people. So oh. I, I, there's absolutely no way I can keep track of all the mentions. Um, that's unfortunate. I'd like to. I do, though. Um, I'm happy to, to report that I will respond to probably 90% of the emails I get. Cause if people take the time other day to send me an email, I'll respond to them. Even if they're cursing me up a storm and tell me what a, how clueless <laughs> I am or whatever, I will respond. But if you send me a response on Twitter, quite honestly, I'm not going to see it. Um, and the perfect example is when I put my AP rankings out, my AP ballot out, I literally, I joke about this. I'm not sure it's a joke though. I literally close my laptop for the next 24 hours because the responses are so predictable. Yeah. You're an idiot. Why are you are? Um, why'd you rank, you know, why'd you rank my team so low? Why isn't my team ranked? Why is this team ranked higher? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And literally if I looked at my mentions, it looks like, it looks like uh, a slot machine where the, where they're spinning around. They're, they're just coming in so fast, especially if it's a fan base that it feels like I didn't rank them high enough. What do you, uh, so there are some, some, I guess, national media personalities who clearly spend a ton of time on Twitter. Uh, and my question is, 
is your boss asking you to do this or are you just doing it to do it? First of all, like, how does that, I guess, how does that, how do you monetize that? Like, what is that doing for your bottom line? Number one, the number two, if you're sitting on your couch reacting to everything on Twitter for 14 hours a day, well, does that, when are you working? <laughs> you know, like what is the expense, you know, not networking with people and not actually being plugged into what's going on. You see what I'm saying? Do you, do you observe? Yeah, no, that? I know it's, I don't. And it's like, I go in phases. Um, cause Twitter can, I mean, it can suck the life out of you, man. I mean, it, it just does. And you know, I can, I could sit in front of Twitter for 24 hours a day if you wanted to, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I wouldn't recommend that. But you do see things on Twitter where people will report different things or you'll see you'll see information come out and that that will spark ideas or remind you, hey, I need to check with this guy mm-hmm. about that story or this or I need to follow that down or wow, there's breaking news. This somebody's reporting, you know, this is going on. What else can I find out about that situation? So yeah, I, I try to get on it a lot. I'm not on it. I'm not on it currently as we're speaking now. So, you know, Dabo Swinney may have resigned or got a, a hundred year <laughs> deal. I don't know. And I won't know till I get done here. But so, um, I, I try to balance it. it. It's, you know, look, there's, I'm sure there's people that are on it, reporters that are on it, um, 24 seven and more power to them. I just can't do it. I do get on it though, to, to see what's going on. Um, but I, I can't sit here and say, I, I, I tell myself, okay, I've got to be on Twitter 10 hours today, or I need to be on eight hours today or whatever it is. It just kind of, it depends on what's going on. If I'm, you know, if I'm talking to you, if I'm doing an interview or whatever, I'm certainly not on Twitter. If you know, you're, you're at a game or different things. Um, it just kind of varies. So it, but it is, it is scary though, because you know, if you, if you actually spend some time with your family or, you know, spend an afternoon, you know, by doing something with my daughter or whatever. And then you come back on Twitter and you, you're like seeing all this stuff you miss and you're like, Oh my God, this guy's fired. That guy got a raise. This guy's in a transfer portal. I mean, it feels like, you know, Jesus, I just missed everything because I wasn't on Twitter for the last four hours, but I've, I've come to accept that, you know, um, I'm, it's just that's just how it is. I'm not going to get everything. I'm not going to see everything, but um, I, I try to be on it as often as I can. Um, I'm not a, you know, I'm not chained to it by any means. But it it is. I think it is valuable, and it's, you know, I think people that are old enough to remember the old AP wire, um, it, it's kind of like the AP wire because you get if you're following the right people, you get a stream of whatever today that day's news is. Um, and you see it, you know, come across your, your Twitter feed. Well, if in the last 40, uh, 40 minutes, Dabo has resigned, we're both screwed. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Brett, man, thank you so much for, uh, giving me your valuable time. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, you got it, Larry. You can wake up the listeners now, but I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> All right. Awesome stuff there from Brett and also Cole Kubelik. Andy Staples, really appreciate all three of them for making this a great podcast this week. Also appreciate our very loyal and generous sponsors for their support. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. 
Really appreciate it. Be safe, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>